Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. is episode 351 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Nate Austin of World Walker Games about a narrative-driven turn-based combat RPG, Wildermyth. That doesn't do this game justice at all. I'm so sorry. Me trying to summarise Wildermyth in a sentence like that is absurd. I'm sorry. I really am. It's it's an embarrassment. You might as well turn off now. I would. I would. In protest. Wildermyth is an extraordinary game. It is narrative driven. It does allow you to get invested into the characters and create extraordinary branching tales the like of which you'd never even imagined in your wildest dreams. Making your characters turn into amazing beasts and super beings. It's just incredible. This game. This game caught me by surprise completely. I did not know... Where to look, where to stand, where to do anything. And I'm just deeply honoured that Nate spared an hour of his precious time to chat about Wildermyth and how difficult it was to bring together a game that ought almost not be. Could have gone horribly wrong, but it doesn't, and it didn't. So, without me rabbiting on any further... Let's, let's listen to me, that's right, from the past, talk to Nate about this extraordinary game that is Wildermyth. Chris, take it away. Nate. Hello, how's it going, Chris? I'm well, thank you. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, I am the co-owner of Worldwalker Games. We have just recently released Wildermyth and... Um, I'm the main programmer on that, and uh, right now I'm digging through player communication and kind of trying to avoid pulling my hair out as as the game is um, taking off and we're getting a lot more attention than I'm used to having. I know, I know. Such is the way of things when you release a, a, a creative endeavor, which is Wildermyth. Good, good problems to have, for sure, yeah. Yes, uh, and it's also... I know most creators understand this on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level, it can be difficult. 
It ceases to be yours once it releases out into the wild. Pun intended. That's um, very very true. Yes, it ceases to be yours. So any it's uh, and that becomes uh, sometimes it's difficult emotionally to get over. I know you understand it intellectually, but emotionally. You're, you know, it's like, well, I made this. Like, yeah, but now it's a rhinoceros. But it's an elephant. No, really. We've interpreted it to be a rhinoceros. Fine. Yeah, I've, I've had to learn that that lesson several times over my sort of like artistic, you know, lifetime. Yeah. That, that the more you the more you give away ownership, um, the better it is in the end, because whether it's your coworkers or your audience or your players, like they'll pick it up and actually run with it. If and you, but you have to let them. You have to actually let go. If they feel you pulling back on it, um, they'll just yeah. walk away. It's the it's there's a something similar to uh, and it's related to a conversation we're about to have is when I'm running role playing games as a DM, whether it's behind a screen or whatever. You if it is yes, fate. Then you, there's no screen. You really don't need a screen when you're running fate. Yes, uh, trust me. Um, but I do get the feeling that the worst thing I'd ever do, especially on certain games, I'd never railroad anyone. Yeah, you know, my favorite yeah. question to ask a player is, "What do you want to do?" Yeah, yeah, and then react to that, and don't say, "Look, the NPC doesn't matter. I've just had to make up their name right on the spot. They asked for the name. Fine, I'll give them one. Well, now they want a backstory. Fine, I'll give them one. That's just <laughs> part of the, the you know, yeah. that happens all the time. It's the, it's the, you know, if you're going to give people a world, they will run with it into places yeah. you would not believe. Yeah, yeah, and that's great, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, and you have yeah. to." You have yeah. to embrace that, yeah. You do. Don't you know if they want to, you know, quarterback your way through a co-op game and just play it on your own for God's sake. So, <laughs> Nate, how uh-huh. did you make your start making video games? It is um, something that I wanted to do since I was very little. I think in between eight and ten, I, I I'm guessing um, we got an old eighty eighty six computer was a tiny little like it was a portable computer which was amazing um it had a screen that was this big and the whole thing was as big as a, a large and very heavy suitcase um and it had gw basic on on there and and right. there was a little instruction manual that came with that and my dad showed me how to like write some go-to statements and i'm i had played um adventure I think it was just sort of a Zork-like text adventure game, and I wanted to oh, make yes, one of like those. Colossal Cave and stuff. Yes, like that. yes, it, it might have been exactly that, or or one yeah. of the like, closely yeah. related games of that mm-hmm. era. Uh, and um, and so I just I made like just with using print statements and go tos, I made my own little like three or four room little text adventures. So ever since then, I've been wanting to do it. Um, actually, got my degree in mechanical engineering, though. Um, and then um, kind of backed my way into the game industry, uh, starting at some QA jobs, and then I got another mechanical engineering job, and then I eventually got in at um, a casual games uh, company called Skill Jam. We're doing little um, like web games, Solitaire and Bejeweled, and that sort of thing, where two people play against each other on the same like deck of cards. Um, and the winner, and you can like bet money on your own performance. And because you're, own, you're betting on your own performance and it's skill-based, it doesn't count as gambling. So they had found this sort of regulatory loophole where they could do this all legally. Um, uh, and that was a ton of fun. And I, that was my first like uh, actual you know, industry programming job. 
Um, and from there, I followed my boss over to his startup. Um, then that went under in the uh, 2008 crash, and then uh, had some other contract jobs. Ended up working on Kung Fu Panda MMO, Flash MMO, which is you know just a little Flash MMO for kids. Right. right. Uh, with uh, you know the Kung Fu Panda IP, which was uh, really fun. Um, and I learned a lot there. And then because I had action script expertise, which was at the time a dying language um, and is now totally dead. Um, but because I had the expertise, I was able to get in at Riot Games, working on the front end of League of Legends, which at the time was uh, an air application in action script. And um, when I was hired there, they had about 100 people. And then, uh, you know, by the time I left, there were, you know, over a thousand. And so it was uh, with the uh, stock options from that experience that I was, you know, that we were able to have the runway to uh, pursue, you know, m my live stream. <laughs> wow. And uh, at the time we, we had just had, um, Wildermyth was a little side project that me and my wife and my brother had been working on. And uh, we took that side project and we said, let's, let's do it for real. Let's try to make it actually a game. And so we, we lowered our cost of living. We moved from Los Angeles out to Austin, Texas. Um, we bought uh, an actually much larger, but much, much, much cheaper house uh, than we could ever have had in, in LA. And um, just hunkered down and for several years to build the core of the game. I learned to be a real graphics programmer, which was fascinating. Uh, we made some bad decisions. We built the game in Java. Never do that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, yeah, we reached a point at which, like, it, it made sense to bring on contractors to, to bulk up the content of the game, to get it released. We started taking it around to conferences, um, like the Boston Festival of Indie Games, and then eventually uh, launched Alpha on HIO, and then launched Early Access on Steam in uh, November of 2019, uh, and then uh, live just uh, in June. So yeah, I think we started full-time on it in 2013, I want to say. So it's been a real journey. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 well, I'm not surprised considering what it does, actually. It is very ambitious, and many when you describe it, I'm like, no, just no, how just oh boy, it's just like, how are you going to sew all that together? Indeed, but um, yeah, lovely sort of like hearing about the the older, the luggable computer from your, your childhood, <laughs> as they called them, the ones you they were not laptops. If you put them no. in a lap, you would actually no. cause yourself harm. Um, Absolutely. Because they had a full keyboard and everything. Was, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just, they were just a portable computer. It was, which, yeah, it was just like you know, a tower case with a handle and like an extra 20 pound weight inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, who, yeah. who said yes to this? Well, you know, <laughs> business people, like, no, there are some things out there that ought not be. Um, but I mean, I say this with great affection. I have a lot of like retro computers and stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, having a, having a bit, bit of an argument. On our um, Slack channel, Kane and Rince, because they were talking about the, we released an episode about Quake. There's a relevance. Oh, to this. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then during the discussion on the podcast, they said, "Oh yeah, I remember it was in you know mid '90s, just when the, the Amiga was was dying as a platform, but uh, somehow some people managed to soup up the Amiga 
to such an extent where it could run Quake. And really? Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. I know. And I said, um, it is, yeah, exactly. That was my reaction because that's what I did. So back in the day, I did actually upgrade my Amiga to the point where it wasn't one anymore. Uh, in, and it now, and it, I still got it. It's still, it's still sitting there. Um, yeah, why there. would you get rid of that? Yeah. And yeah. And it's, it's this monster thing that's just like, it, is it, is it, and then like I describe it to people. Well, and go, no, it's, yeah. no, no, it's not. Um, but it runs Quake at 30 frames yeah. per second. It shouldn't, but it does. And, All right. uh, you know, and I, and I said, I defended my decision, but uh, at the time they said, no, this is a bad idea. Yeah, but um, you know those those old machines. We got a lot lot to thank for because they're the the germs of, of everything. Yeah. And so I got a lot of time for older machines. But by the same token, my current machine can well can run Half Life Alex. Thank you very much. So you know, indeed, yes, that, that's the that's the, the benchmark now. If you can run that, then okay, your machine can probably run anything. Uh, and uh, it was my game of the year last year. So there you go. So, um, so don't worry, Wildermuth came out in 2021. So, <laughs> but uh, Half Life Alex is a game that I've spoken about many times on this show. I'm not going to say it again, but everyone yeah. take a drink. But it's just my, it's just an extraordinary experience. Sadly, sadly, so few can experience because of the ridiculous hardware requirements to run. Yeah, I, I still need to, to pony up for the VR set. Yeah, exactly. But, but the problem is that we have kids, and if we, if it were in the house, it would yeah. be on my son's head all the time and that's not really what i want for him at this time he plays enough switch already yeah 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 it would be good so your next question and this is a bit of a nebulous one but it's one i have to ask because you're the creator of things here we go do as you must what are your biggest influences oh (laughs) um so i'm gonna start yeah, with like the old stuff, like um, some of those text adventures, some of the really early, like Might and Magic 2, Might and Magic, you know, World of Zine, um, Wizardry 7, a lot of those old 2D games, and then like Legend of Zelda, like the first one, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of those those early Nintendo games. Uh, just playing Dungeons and Dragons with friends, and um, just a sense of the total freedom that that gives you um yeah and then and then moving forward like uh games like half-life for its innovation and storytelling yeah portal portal in particular for just yes incredible game story i mean just the the dry humor dry humor Beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just like yeah. the whole cake thing. At the time, oh. it got tiresome, but now people looking back going, that was just genius. This whole yeah. talking about this, like, there's cake. No, there isn't. There's just death and fire. No, seriously, yeah. there's cake. That's not a spoiler. Well, it is. Come on, this game's 13 years old. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, there's, there's cake there. No, we saw there's a pit of fire. <laughs> no. And it's just, yeah, a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful game. And when, when you try to describe it to people and they just like, at the time, like, yeah. it's just, just headache inducing. Like, oh, I know, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the second one sends you to the moon because why not? Might as well. Might as well. If we've gone, we gone here, we may as well go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
but um, yeah. no, that's a good shout. And uh, you're right, the, the role playing games and the the, the the sheer sense of absolute open freedom to like you know the ultimate question: What do you want to do now? I mean, it's yeah. like in in the text adventures, the the the, the, yeah. the little font, the little text will be like, what now? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, you you type in things generally, then it will go. I don't understand. Oh, right, right. Right. So well, okay. Get lamp. Yes. Got the lamp. Examine lamp. What lamp? Look at lamp. Oh. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, passes. Yeah. Good oh, times. Good times. You know. But yeah. Um, you know, you'd be eaten by a Gru. That's now a meme. Mm-hmm. No one knows mm-hmm. that. You know? Or yeah, if it's yeah. dark, you, if you go further, you'll be eaten. And you would. You would be. Yep. Whatever that is, you would be eaten by one. Yeah. Um, and, of course, then there's the classic Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and that particular puzzle. Yeah. The Babel fish. Which yeah, was- I was pretty much too young to be able to successfully play at the yeah. time when I tried to play it. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just went over my head. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what well, put the towel in front of the grill. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get this fish. I will. No, no, you won't. No. <laughs> but um no, that's a, that's a really good sort of source material and I can definitely see it in, in Wildermyth, definitely. It makes absolute sense. So my next question uh-huh. is what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, um, uh, Concerned Ape, who works on, um, I don't re- actually know his name, but uh, Stardew Valley. Uh, and then also um, the Saltzmans who run Finji. Uh, uh, the Stardew Valley, I'm just a huge fan of, and I think that a lot of people misunderstand why it was so successful. Okay. But to me, I think, I mean, I think it's easy to focus on like, oh, well, it's a farming game. And also, you know, there's like these other characters in town. But like, to me, it was, um, it was the writing. It was the, the stories and the characters and the fact that everybody you meet is presents as a real complete human being and there are there are no caricatures in the whole game um and that's just beautifully beautifully done uh and i want more of that uh and then the saltzmans i'll say for their um their attitude um they're they're very consciously thinking through what they want their lives to be and what their values are and how that applies to game development and game publishing is something that I deeply respect. Can you tell us what titles they've released so the listeners can um, enjoy their, their So Adam, Saltz, Adam Saltzman is, I think, best known for Cannabalt, which is an old, pretty old, yes. like, Flash it's, game. It was very, very old, much older than people give it credit, and also yeah. eventually ported to the Commodore 64. <laughs> I did not know that. Yes, it was. Like, <laughs> very oh cool. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then recently they've done a bunch, I think, uh, Night Night in the Woods, and yeah. um, uh, more recently Overland. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I actually haven't played a ton of their games, but yeah. um, but we have like a personal connection. My wife sort of knew Adam through a friend and he had okay. worked as a contractor for one of our companies, which is how we know them. Right. Good. Well, excellent answers. Thank you very much. I mean, it's all, it is a difficult one to answer. I grant you those, those two, it's, three and four. It's tough. Yeah. They're tough, those two. Yeah. Because uh, you don't want to offend anyone. Because you're like, oh, no. I, I, 
I do think your uncle works great. I just forgot. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> last question. Last question of the first half. See, look, you made it. Ah. And this this one this one is uh, has to ask it because it's a video game podcast. Okay. And pretty Carry much on. every every podcast related to video games typically asks this at some point, whether you like it or not. And it is All this. Right. What are you playing right now? Um, Valheim, Factorio, mm. oh, uh, yes. some Hades, some Kerbal Space Program, some Rimworld, some Slay the Spire. There's kind of those have been my most recent few. Kind of bounce back and forth. Factorio, yeah. a game that will never be on sale, ever. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They they've made their they they said, oh, it's a yeah. great game. I'll wait for it to go stale. Well, if you do that, you'll never play it because yeah. it's always going to be that amount it's, of money. It's worth the price if you're even remotely interested. Yeah. It's a magnificent yeah. game. Magnificent it's really beautiful. Game. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm not surprised Wimwell because that relates to the whole human factor. And like you know, you have yeah, absolutely having emotional sort of existential crises yeah. every you know, it's like darkest yeah. dungeon thing where people are having mm-hmm. massive crises in the middle of a fight like I just, I just can't deal with it now I mean, what did my mother really mean by saying that like just can we just focus <laughs> on killing the thing <laughs> yeah but i'm really having a bad time right now can i just can we just no we can't just it's just uh, <laughs> no one no one thinks about the, the, the emotional turmoil that uh adventures yeah. go through when going through yeah. dungeons until yeah. darkest dungeon <laughs> yeah Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, this is like, yeah, these the games that we've all mentioned uh, throughout this first half are all anchored around uh, the, the, the human uh, in, interaction but with what it means to be a sentient being. Yeah, and um, I think I didn't get to mention Dwarf mm, Fortress in there, but I should have yes. earlier. Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Cause, uh, so human or dwarf in, you know, interaction and emotion. That, yeah, Dwarf Fortress. This is the second time in the last three episodes, so the two episodes back, we recorded with a developer based in New Zealand. So I had to get mm. up at five a.m. for that one. But, oh my! You know, we suffer for our art. Yes, yeah, indeed, we suffer for our art. And uh, and uh, yeah, they they mentioned Dwarf Fortress as well. So mm. it's, it's, it breaks all barriers, and it doesn't matter what game you're working on. It's, that's a game that you you know it's, it's 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 a game you should experience at least once, in my humble opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, another game that I'm streaming at the moment is still Battalion, the ridiculous controller. Uh, with the, the, oh, the, yes. Yeah, that one. The whole thing, yes. The whole thing, the lighting. It's got three pedals that lights up when it starts up. Fabulous. It's amazing. But it's a, it's a difficult Capcom game. It's really difficult anyway. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's move on to the second half of the show where we, uh, we're delving deep into Wilderman. Yes.
So, first question. Regular listeners will know. is isn't a question. It's a request, which is why it's called the zeroth question. And the request is this. In your own words, Nate, what is Wildermyth? Wildermyth is a character-driven, procedurally generated tactical RPG. So um, we follow heroes all the way from their early days when they're pitchfork-wielding nobodies um, into their primes when they have, you know, they're powerful, they're, they're wielding epic weapons and magic, and then they get old and they have children and their children can join the company. They can get maimed, they can get transformed by magics that they encounter. Um, they can die, they can go into your legacy, they can retire. Um, and then in the next playthrough, you can sort of bring them back as if you're, you know, rebooting them in a, if they were a comic character or just telling a different story about them if they were sort of a, a mythic legend. Um, the stories don't have to perfectly fit together. It's the characters that are uh, sort of the heart of it. So it's kind of a, um, a pantheon generator. Uh, but the way that it accomplishes that is by um, focusing on character development. So we, we let you customize your characters and we randomly generate them. And then we make them important and make them unique and individual and make them matter. My first design question to you then is this. Um, there are There is magic in Wildermyth. Not all fantasy realms have magic. In fact, the most famous one, Lord of the Rings, has barely any. That's the, in fact, there's only five individuals that can wield magic in the Lord of the Rings. I may be wrong about that, but it's basically the wizards who aren't... Just even, about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's only that, you know. So that's a very, very, very low magic uh, um, right. world. Um, right. And Wildermyth isn't quite that. Extreme. No, no. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, it's not quite as uh, as uh, up there with the Dungeons and Dragons, which you can just sort of wave your hand and things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that in Wildermouth there is this need, and I found it fascinating, this need for the spellcaster to use resources and things in the world in order to cast spells in order to do a thing they must interact with typically an inanimate object in the world for them to then be able to do something if they want to cast flame they need to grab a flame that's already there yeah uh, they in order to um flow uh, create a, a, a showering of of sharp um stones or something they need a rock to smash to do that yeah um, where did this come from how did this come about so <sighs> It's actually a design decision that we came to because of the constraints of the game. We're a small team. Um, we're, um, especially when we started, but even now, none of, nobody on the team is a level designer. Nobody uh, on the team was going to spend months and months and months making maps and making all this other stuff. So this means that we needed to have procedural combat maps. This was just just a requirement of like the constraints based on the team that we had. Um, because we have procedural combat maps, and this is something that I learned from playing 
XCOM, both the old school XCOM and the modern XCOM, and also a uh, board game called Descent Journeys in the Dark. Um, we knew that to make this system fun, it had to be really important where you were standing and what was around you. And because we could procedurally place scenery uh, on the ground and we had these debris that we could place, you know, on the on the ground and we could, you know, procedurally, you know, shape the map a little bit. We wanted that scenery to be as, as important to the core mechanics of the game as possible so that it would matter if the game had randomly placed a lamp here or a rock there so that you would care and it would change how you experienced that level. You know, you know, if you had happened to play this, the similar map, you know, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't play just exactly the same way because that's just the worst thing. I, I'm, I mean, XCOM is a fabulous game. That I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Enemy Unknown, where, um, but you get to certain plot missions and they're exactly the same. The yeah. second time you play that mission, you know exactly what to do. Right? Mm-hmm. You can just walk through it because, okay, okay, I can go walk up to this door, then open this door. These guys will come forward. I can use this. I can blow up that. Right? There's no surprises left. So we. We knew that in order to keep it fresh and to make the procedural generation work, we needed something like that. The other thing about it is that um, traditional magic using classes can be really similar to, like, they're not really any different from archers if they're just slinging fireballs, you know, like, there's not... It's that just buffing thing. Differently you know, flavored, yeah. Um and so we we had these three archetypes: the warrior, the hunter, and and the mystic. And we wanted the mystic to kind of. Well, we also knew we weren't going to have healing in the game, which is a separate question. Um, yes, but because we knew that the hunter was one of them, and they were going to be bow users, we needed the mystics to to move aside from that and leave that space open. Uh, and so that also kind of led us in this direction. I, I just one of the things that really made me. My eyes widened when I saw that. That's brilliant. Rather than Thanks. just objects in the way. I mean, what what's really great is that you'd you'd use the, the, the spell to fling a chair or something, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden the cover that your archer had is gone. Indeed. Like, what are you doing? What, don't, why are you dismantling this thing that I'm hiding behind? <laughs> good, good point. Can you dismantle that instead, pointing at something else? And, and in, it, for me, Wildermyth yeah. reminds me of some of the best combat I had in Shining Force, which is a oh. an old Sega uh, game, which I, you know, I've got all of them, even the really rare ones, which I bought back in 20 years ago when everyone was just throwing them away. Um, yeah. Now they're worth hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Um, they and uh, or dollars, sorry, whatever, whatever currency, mm-hmm. we, uh, but hundreds, uh, definitely hundreds, yes. yeah, generally. I mean, Shining Force 3 or Shining Force 3D, a CD, I think it is called, it's just worth hundreds of US dollars. And I, I bought that for 10 quid, right? <laughs> Don't get it anyway. Point being, I definitely feel <laughs> the influence, whether it's yeah. intentional or not, but it's one of the most celebrated tactical RPGs ever made. Awesome. Uh, and uh, you well done. You, you definitely got I, a lot of muscle memory or a lot of, well, maybe not muscle memory, but a lot of tactical um, um, 
strategy, well, strategies that are used or tactics, sorry, there's a word. Tactics that I used back in that game apply with Wildermuth to a point. The difference being is that the, yes, the flanking works, and that's fabulous, the fact you've got flanking, even though in D&D 5th edition, flanking's optional. Sigh. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, in you know, in, 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 it's, but in Wildermuth, it does actually do a thing. And, uh, no, I really, really enjoy it. I actually look forward to the engagement whereas in some games sometimes it was exhausting yeah and i really found that wildermyth was the banner saga which i adore don't get me wrong yes um some of those combats and the engagements like i'm just mentally exhausted by like a third in like yeah I've got to think about seven moves ahead before i do anything right now and that can be really exhausting well i don't really get that with wildermyth and uh, cool. it doesn't seem doesn't seem to be the focus of the point of the game at all. It's a very important point, but it's not anchored around the tactical experience. So yeah. thanks for that. You're welcome. Mm. Speaking of the experience, <laughs> Wildermyth does have a multi-tiered approach to what I call the overworld and the tactical map. Or the engagements, or what have you. Yeah, games, you know, tactical RPGs have different ways of dealing with that. And indeed, you mentioned XCOM, and that had a, an entire planet, which which was quite a, a technical feat, by the way, back in the day when they were doing yeah. the original. XCOM, oh yes, XCOM, yes, yes, because they were originally made that whole globe the, view. Yeah, that globe view was a big. Yeah. What's that? Because people yeah. are losing their minds, have like, yeah. how are you spinning the world around? I mean, that's the the Gollop brothers doing their amazing things. Um, but yeah, they, they, that was uh, that was a thing. But point is, you have this multi layered sort of multi tiered, I should say, approach to overworld and tactical. What measures had you put in place to ensure that the player does not feel overwhelmed? by the amount of information you're throwing at them, both in the tactical realm and in the overworld, because they are two very different things, and they're demanding the player of attention of different things. And I just felt that you... I personally think you've done a fantastic job of not doing this, but what things have you done to ensure that they are not? Yeah, so I think this is us pulling from our... Um, as a. Um, me and my wife, we were both in the casual games industry for a while, and that was a real education in, you know, growing up as a core gamer, you get used to the complexity and you're like, oh yeah, games are just complicated. But then you go over to the casual games world and you work in the industry for a while, and they teach you like, it doesn't have to be this way. You can make it easy to understand. It does take work. It does take effort. But um, we um we streamlined a lot of things intentionally. There's no inventory management. There's no animation. All the combat numbers are kept low. Um, we had more complicated systems, and we took them out. We had population models and threat that flowed, and we took it out because nobody understood it. We had, you know, dodge and block used to, to be different stats that interacted with something called, like, weapon weight, so that, you know hammers would be better against some monsters and light weapons would be better against some. And we took it out because people couldn't understand it. They didn't understand why their percent was different. And explaining that was just not the point of the game um, at the end of the day. And, and so 
we just kept listening to the feedback. It was like, we spent like maybe three or four years on combat clarity, just like listening to the feedback and making it more clear and more clear and more clear. Um, and the same for Overland. The Overland game is is pretty light, honestly. There's not a ton of strategic depth in the Overland, which I think is something that we could absolutely improve. But um, But we definitely want to keep it... S- streamlined because the focus of the game is on the stories it's like the story that you're creating for your um for your adventuring party and and the individuals within it um and so anything that creates a gate which means that oh you will only be able to experience this story if you can get through these mechanics we want to look really hard at and and see if we can just open that gate as wide as possible and remove as many blocks you know roadblocks as possible yeah, you have these areas you've got to clear, they become infected or infested, sorry. Yeah. Um, and then they, you know, you have resource gathering, you can get hides, you can get, you know, all ingots and all this yeah. to actually help the, you're in your, your company, which it's great that you get to name. Um, <laughs> I always have to struggle with, with players when running D&D, like, you've got to name your group. Do we have to? Yes, please. Yeah, fine. Yeah. I don't know, and um, but we're we're currently um, we're currently running just coming to an end actually, the uh, Ghost of Saltmarsh campaign book. Very nice D and D, and the the group because they they come across as this definite mercenary. They don't intend to be, but they generally nine times out of ten, one of the second questions they ask, maybe the first question they ask uh, of an NPC is the one that's like, so how much we're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and they were basically they they called themselves Saltmarsh Solutions. Um, <laughs> actually, correct Saltmarsh Solutions LLC. Just yes, to be sure, they're perfect. And, yes, and they, they 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 have a business card which they hand over to NPCs. You know, and they, you know they got a list of things and services they offer. It's very corporate. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like well, at least they're open and honest. About, yes. you know what, yes. they, what they're doing and, that's fabulous um, and uh and you know i mean i i when i named my group um of mine i won't reveal what it is but it was just a uh, reference to uh, other historical fantasy texts or indeed i think one of them is like dune related because ah, yeah. i'm playing i'm playing a lot of dune rpg at the moment oh cool so um that i can't help but to go uh, x really yeah just go with that it's fine let's call them x Right, <laughs> but um, you know it's, it'll be fine. But um, that's that really is. Um, it's important that the player isn't overwhelmed. And you're right. The focus of Wildermyth is the story, is the story of the characters, and it's you know it's the people. It's the people yeah. that occupy the world that you're yeah. in. It's yeah. not the world. The world is a part of that, but it's really it's people. Damn it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Procedurally generated content, which mm-hmm. Wildermyth is built around, has a tendency to come across as stale and repetitive due to the nature of its creation. Indeed. Yes. What have you done to the underlying engine of Wildermyth to avoid this from happening? Or prevent this from happening, I should say? Uh, So get, yeah, getting getting the most out of your content creation is is something that we do think about a lot. I think one of the big ones, one of the success stories I kind of mentioned already was the combat. Uh, 
we have both the interfusion mechanic and the tension between walling where you stand next to each other and flanking where you have to move apart. Um, everything about the combat is designed to make where you're standing important. And that, that worked really well to keep it fresh. Um, in other places, it's a lot harder. Like in our um, written overarching campaigns, I don't really know how many players play those multiple times. I think not not so many, right? Like once you've seen that story, you've seen it and you want to play the next one or you want to play something else. Um, and so that's a case where it didn't work all that well. But as far as the approach of the content itself, we have kind of a two-layer system. I, I think of it as a library of plays where um, say that you're uh, in a high school and it's your job to put on five plays a year because you're the theater you know, teacher and you have these students in your class and they're going to be in the plays. Um, and so, and you know, maybe this year you have a bit of a hothead and a bookish student and a goofball student and you go over to your library and you say, well, okay, well, these are the plays that I have of these, these five are applicable to this cast of characters. So you pick one at random and then you assign roles. Okay. You're going to be, you fit best with this role. You fit best with that role. And then those individual actors bring their own flavor to the parts. So they might tweak the lines or deliver them differently based on their personalities and relationships and all of that. And so that's essentially how we built all of our content. It's all written by writers. Mostly, you know, my brother uh, does a bulk, the bulk of the writing uh, and there's some other writers in there too. But um, all of that variation is just sort of written in place. Um, and it works to the point that when you see the same story, even though you're familiar with it, it will play out differently. And in particular, the personalities and the relationships of your heroes will shine through because of that built-in variation and because like they're cast in the correct roles. Um, so it's it's less like, okay, skip, 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 and a little bit more like, oh, I get to see like how this is going to play out this time, which I think is at least somewhat successful. So we're happy with that. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the oldest um, video games ever made, procedure-generated, was, was Elite which we spoke about in the virtual green room. Um, and uh, that was made back in 1983, 1984. Yeah. And they had 22 kilobytes of RAM to work with. So the procedural generation thing wasn't something that was a luxury. It was desire- It was needed in order to create the game in the first place. Exactly, uh, yes. There wasn't enough RAM for eight galaxies of or, or planets. And we're absolutely in the same... I mean, not the same situation with regard to the resources on the machine, but with regard no. to the resources on the team. Yes. We That's weren't exactly. going to like build out this vast world, so we needed procedural generation to make it work. Exactly. And uh, one of the lovely stories uh, of that time, when they figured it out, when they figured out this, this system where it had the computer creating content and immediately deleting it when you didn't need it, yeah. um, um, was they realized that... If they're doing procedurally generated names for the planets, there's the possibility that some words may arrive that are particularly, <laughs> shall we say, um, pleasant. Yes, indeed. So they ran an algorithm through the system to make sure that it didn't have any. Uh-huh. And lo and behold, they did find one. They found the planet Ars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the British spelling, A-R-S-E. Good. Us. Yes. And uh which you know, you can save more gravitas, can't you? Us. 
<laughs> and yes, uh, I agree. They 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 found basically they found the arse in the universe. Um, <laughs> that joke there, and they had yeah. to delete it. Sadly, sure, sure, know, sure. Otherwise, they would never release the game. But, right. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, there's other funny stories surrounding the creation of that game because when they took it around to publishers, there's a lot of pushback because there was no score in Elite. Oh. It's just, it just keeps 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 going and going and going. Huh. It doesn't stop. And they said, "Well, what's the point of that?" Huh. <laughs> and it's uh, fun. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. It, though. Did you see that it's fun? Yeah. <laughs> did you see how fun it is? But this is at a time when all video yeah. games had lives and score and yeah, you know, just yeah. thinking like yeah. that, very, very, mm-hmm. very narrow-minded, and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and many of them just turned them away. Thankfully, someone woke up and go, "Oh, wait a minute." Mm. Not all mm-hmm. games have to be like that. This is in the early '80s when people really didn't understand the medium as much yeah. as uh, we do now. So, For sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fa- a fascinating story, but yeah. Well, yeah. Planet Ars. I'm, <laughs> I'm no doubt you had similar problems with your. Oh, of course. You yeah. To, you know, you had to make sure yeah. that it doesn't mangle itself, and I'm sure it did amusingly. Like, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's that's done that. Okay, that's funny. Then we'll take it out. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> we. Don't, we, we don't. Uh... The 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 one for us is when we introduced um, children of your heroes could join the company, and then immediately it was incest because they would randomly fall in love with each other, and uh, then yeah, no. okay, now that's something that we have to deal with and figure out how to. <laughs> that yeah. bug kept coming back because like they would go into the legacy and forget that they were related to each other, and then yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a big yeah, mess. That's a whole yeah, that? web finger yeah. mess. It just don't... had to be sorted through but yeah yeah that, that i can see that happening but uh at least you yeah. didn't have a, a place called ass <laughs> yeah. well maybe yeah, we we just have a forbid list in our name yeah. generator so yeah. it's really it's, simple it's, it's fascinating yeah stuff. <laughs> the last question then and we haven't really delved into this and i think we need to uh-huh. i know we need to that's why i'm asking a question because i right. I've, yes I've, i had about 10 but i had to fill them down to the best to, to the most salient enemies increase in power the more you engage with them they actually get better at uh, they make it more challenging for you they get different abilities they get more health etc yeah but you can curtail their evolution in, yes in a way you can actually prevent them from being so awesome and you know it's like anti-pokemon like no you will not evolve yeah uh, using something called a resource called legacy points. Yeah. I have to ask, how did these come about and what is their, their, uh, their origin story? What is the origin story of legacy points in Wildermyth? There you go. So... We knew from our very early brainstorming that we didn't want money as a major resource in the game. We didn't want a king. We didn't want a noble class. We didn't want a town council giving you quests and all that. We wanted heroes who saw a problem in the world and made the hard decision to go out themselves and put their own lives online in order to fix it. Like you're not answerable to anybody else. There's no government. There's no king's army that's going to come and save you. And you're not... In in our game, money exists in the world, but you don't use it as the player. 
right? You assume that the heroes can, you know, use it to buy their things if they want, but um, because we didn't have uh, a lot of hard currencies like that, uh, but we still needed mechanically some way for you to um, trade on your reputation and for you to feel good about things that you had accomplished. If you wanted to recruit another hero, Right? How are we going to say whether you could or not? And so legacy points are a way for us to measure sort of the overall legacy and reputation of your company. You can spend them um, to recruit heroes. You can spend them to you know, influence the world in other ways by um, canceling calamities. And that's a little bit of a unexplained corridor in terms of how that works uh, lore-wise in world. But I think you could think of it as like um the company's reputation uh allows them to influence events and thwart the plans of the monsters sort of thing yeah reputation uh, precedes them yeah in a procedurally yeah. generated game hey there you go <laughs> doesn't quite work but you know what i mean it's not bad not a bad pun precedes <laughs> proceeds 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 yeah fine yeah, it's close. It's, it's not it's bad, nearly there. Do. <laughs> it's not a bad dad joke. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, no, I just found it fascinating because these are points that you may want to not spend. But if you yes. don't, the going's going to get tougher for you. So yeah, it's that yeah. risk reward. It's a, rather, it's a rather transparent one. It's quite obvious in your face. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they're the best type, right? The rather than ones that are hidden in multi-layered. Like, oh, wait, that means I've got it. Yeah, it does. Instead of that, it's yeah, we can you you can you can spend these points, but if you do, you know, that might mar your uh, development as a as a team if you, yeah, you spend all these. You won't have them for other things, yeah. Yeah, for other things. Yeah, we That's... we we want that that kind of trade off and the calamity system is has been working pretty well. It's just that the enemies Getting stronger in ways that aren't uniform. So that instead of having a fixed progression, uh, you know, like one, you know, particular units will get buffed or particular units will come on board, and that's been that's been working out well. Yeah, yeah. Wildermyth then, <laughs> which is developed by uh, World Walker Games. It's a great name. Thank it's you. Come, where's it come from? Which 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 one? Wildermyth or World Walker? World Walker. World Walker. Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we're such a small team. It's like it's probably like me and my wife talking about stuff is where uh, it came from. But uh, yeah, I think the idea is that you can visit different worlds, nice. walk between them. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Very ratchet and clank like. Mm. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, a bit of contemporary video game there for you. Um, so it's out now. Now the platforms. I know it's on Steam. But specific platforms you can run it on, right? I've got this wrong once. I've got into trouble. So do, uh, do you want to list them out for me? So what what machine operating yeah. system does it run on? PC, Mac, Linux. You need OpenGL three point two, right? So which yeah, is most most modern machines, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I once said, "Oh, it's out on Linux on another game," and then they, oh PR, yeah. yeah, you don't want to say PR. that if it's not true, yeah. No, the PR stepped in and goes, "No, we haven't announced that yet," and it all got a bit. Oh yes, I had to do some judicious editing afterwards. Oh dear, <laughs> oh dear. So, so ever since then, I actually say you, you tell me because I yes, you know, 
<laughs> I don't. I don't want to be in trouble. But, um, Nate, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad you had a good time. I, I know I did, and I'm sure the audience did too. Um, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about what next is on your plate, whatever that may be, because we do All have right. return guests. But until then, thank you very much. Thank you. This was a great time. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website caneandrinse.com. Something